Whenever there's a fossil fuel price shock, and uh, no one can doubt that the gas and oil price uh, rises last year through into this year have been a shock, there's a great temptation to think, well, you know, this is permanent, this shock. These new higher prices are here to stay, and this is now the new normal. It's what happens every time. It happened after the great OPEC shocks of the 1970s. It happened in the run-up to the oil price peak in 2014. And all the usual suspects, all those who benefit from higher prices, are at it again now. It's going to be high. Prices are going to stay high. And uh, we're in for perhaps a decade-long gas price or price crisis. Well, we might be, but my guess is that we should at least explore almost the exact opposite. We should think whether, in fact, there's a reversion to, in brackets, normalcy. We should remind ourselves that the Earth's crust is utterly riddled with fossil fuels. There's plenty of gas, oil and coal to fry the planet many times over. And, you know, markets could be given the credit that they tend to work. And this time around, it matters a lot. The OBR recently produced some energy scenarios as part of its looking at the uh, longer term challenges to public finances. And amazingly, they have a very high price scenario for gas, a high price scenario for gas. But try as I might, they couldn't be persuaded to have a low price scenario. Well, they should. And uh, we should think about that seriously. So this time isn't actually different. There is no new normal out there of escalated high fossil fuel prices. And what we've seen in the crisis this autumn is a remarkable resilience of the energy systems within Europe. And remember, it's the Russians who turned off the gas, not the Europeans. And of course, they've never completely turned it off. So more pliant states like uh, Hungary have continued to receive gas. But the Nord Stream Pipeline 1 has been blown up and effectively 2, which was never started, has been blown up. But remember, both of these pipelines were not there not that long ago. Uh, Nord Stream 2 never started, of course, but Nord Stream 1 was added in order to allow the Russians to bypass Ukraine and help turn the screw on those poor, benighted people in Ukraine. And the Germans connived in allowing that to happen. But you don't need Nord Stream 1 to supply Europe, and you certainly don't need Nord Stream 2. So with turning off the gas and doing it in sharp order, what's happened? Well, Germany managed to fill all its storage to almost all-time high levels. LNG cargoes arrived. Gas was repiped through the UK from LNG. Germany's about to have some more LNG terminals to pick up from there. And uh, new contracts were supplied from around the world. And remember, too, uh, the US has been supplying LNG gas to Europe, whereas it's only a few years ago when the US was thought to be a large future net importer of LNG. And that's why all that stuff in Qatar was largely developed. Shale gas is very recent, 
But uh, sure, has it made a difference to the supply crisis within Europe? On the demand side, markets work again. Very high prices lead to people turning off the taps, turning down their heating. And whereas in the UK, there's been an attempt to protect all consumers from the price signal in Europe, that's not generally the case. And uh, we can see that the scope for substitution away from gas to other fuels and the reduction of the demand for energy per se are part and parcel of the way the market responds to uh, sharply higher prices. And so what we now have is actually not a normal position in Europe, but a position in Europe where gas prices have fallen back from their peak quite substantially where there is considerable confidence of getting through uh, to April and uh, where we then have a good six months to work out how to refill the storage into the winter of 2023-2024. And let's not forget too that climate change has been quite helpful. It's been incredibly mild this autumn. I'm sure you've all noticed that. That means the demand for gas for heating has been considerably lower than it otherwise would have been. That effect is likely to work for winters to come. Warmer winters mean less heating. They might mean more cooling in the summer, but that's not really a gas story anyway. So put all that together, of course, a very cold winter with uh, no wind and therefore the huge problem of the intermittency playing out across the European markets could cause some nasty moments. But it's extraordinary how much resilience has appeared. So if we look through into next year, imagine for a moment that the overwhelming conventional wisdom that gas prices are going to stay high next year turns out to be wrong. Imagine a world in which uh, Ukraine gets to a nasty, sticky stalemate, all too plausible in my view, and the Russians then think to themselves, well, what are they going to do in the face of the enormous economic damage they've done to themselves through this barbarous invasion of uh, Ukrainian territory? They turn the taps off. The Europeans didn't. There's no European decision not to take gas from Russia going forward. And looking at the crippled state of the Russian economy, the temptation must be to open the taps again. Not through Nord Stream, but Nord Stream isn't essential to supply the European markets. So if the Russians find themselves slowly easing the tap back on under the pretext of looking after its friends and uh, discriminating against its uh, Uh, more vociferous and hostile foes, then that will add to the LNG flow into Europe next year and on top of the demand substitutions and other supply chains that have uh, gradually been put in place. So we could imagine, just imagine, a low gas scenario. And we could imagine that the gas price crisis in its current form is going to be a lot less serious next year and possibly over. If that happens, then quite a lot of things in the energy world and the wider macroeconomic world ease off too. Inflation's an obvious 
departure point. Falling gas prices and falling oil prices would lead to a ratchet down in those uh, inflationary hits we've taken. And of course, the rocket of those uh, price increases and that inflation into the labour markets and some of the other uh, supply chains uh, will take time to dampen away. But a combination of rising interest rates and falling back inflation is a much more benign macroeconomic world than the one which uh, we've all been terrified that we are going to face. There will be very special and serious difficulties in the UK. Part of those are Brexit. Part of them is our terrible trade position anyway. And part of them is the uh, willingness to spend and lower taxes, whilst at the same time borrowing the money from the next generation and making the kids pay. None of that's solved by falling gas prices, except, of course, that next April, when the price support mechanism comes to an end, it's for the Treasury and politicians to have the opportunity of moving away from comprehensive support thereafter and instead doing the sensible thing, which is to have serious social tariffs and target the support on the fuel poor, who are going to be fuel poor even when the prices fall back again. So that can be done, and that would give a huge breathing space uh, to the government, to the public finances, and my guess too, it might change the opinion polls quite a lot as well. The difficulties, however, of a return to, quote, normal, by which I mean the gas prices ex ante, the Russian activities and the uh, recovery and bounce back from the COVID virus. Going back to that earlier world could, however, uh, introduce a lot of complacency. Right now, there are all sorts of lobby groups, especially amongst the renewables and the new technologies, claiming that higher fossil fuel prices mean that they are now much more competitive. And the usual argument trotted out that wind is the cheapest form of electricity generation, conveniently forgetting all the intermittency and the other system characteristics, uh, gets reinforced. And that has a couple of consequences in a world in which the gas prices actually fall back. Cheap gas is a competitive challenge to the renewables, full stop. But it's also a reason why the renewables need subsidies in the long term, and why the renewables should be very careful about claiming their cost competitiveness because the Treasury and finance ministers more generally might take this as an opportunity to wind down the subsidies and support. And uh, we might well see that and we might well see contract renegotiations uh, which uh, force lower prices through to the renewables sector just at the moment when it needs to expand and expand substantially. So that's a, a big bit in that frame. And then there's the coal question, all that extra coal being burnt to give us security. The worry is that those coal interests will play up the threat of higher gas prices and then play up the arguments for keeping them going, keeping them paying, and the Draxes and so on of this world would then continue to reap benefits, in inverted commas, at least to themselves, of being back in the coal business. So there are risks and there are opportunities. But the one thing that one should never do in fossil fuel markets is assume 
that you know the future and assume that just because the prices have gone up, they're permanently up and will continue at that basis. And to take the current point as the norm rather than using a little bit of nouse and thinking through uh, how markets work and work quite well when prices are allowed to have their effect. Perhaps the OBR might like to look a bit more seriously at just the possibility that next year might see a low gas scenario. Of course, it might not, but it's worth thinking through what happens if the markets really work properly. Thank you.